This is Sports Jam, and today we'll take a closer look into the latest documentary from Showtime Sports and Showtime Basketball. Kevin Garnett, Anything is Possible. An amazing film that gives us a personal perspective on the career of NBA Hall of Famer and 2008 Boston Celtics champion Kevin Garnett. The ingredients that make up Kevin Garnett, a tablespoon of fun, a tablespoon of seriousness, two tablespoons of hard work, a tablespoon of gratitude, a teaspoon of gullibleness, and you need two tablespoons of hate because I'm driven by the hate. My guests today are the co-directors of the documentary, Daniel B. Levin and Eric W. Newman. Eric, let's start with you. You are also the executive director of Showtime Basketball's platform. Great programs educate and entertain. You knew you had something special right away when you said in the past, Kevin Garnett's storytelling was like opening up a faucet and it's already on and KG let it rip with rawness and realness during this documentary. Did you realize that he was such a storyteller when you started this project? You know, KG had such a passion for the game and was so animated on the floor. But until we started to see him in front of a camera post-career, like we weren't sure if that spirit and that passion and that energy was going to translate to off the floor in front of the camera. And you got a sense of it a little bit before we started working with him. But when he sat in for the first interview, we knew he was prepped. We knew he was excited about the project, but we had no inclination we were going to get some of the magic that we did like those moments we were ready for those moments we knew he was going to bring it but we couldn't have anticipated what some of those things were going to be like if that makes sense so for us as storytellers and putting together the team and the crew we did around this we just had to be ready to capture all the magic whenever it was presented and and, and thankfully we did and obviously there's great trust here between him and us and that started with our approach to him putting the creative together, flushing all that stuff and uh, flushing all that stuff out, excuse me, in 2019. And then finally rolling cameras in uh, January, 2020 to get this thing started. Dan, what a journey KG has had uh, this thin giant who eventually would learn to play with that passion and be vocal about it on the court. We learned about that in the documentary. I was struck by how much his career and story has really changed the NBA of today. And that was certainly one of the goals I know of Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. Yeah, definitely. We sort of started out and we had these four pillars that we looked at, you know, the, how KG changed the game. Of course, being the first to come straight from high school in 20 years, is probably one of the most well-known. So that was our initial. Then of course he assigns, uh, he signs a deal, $126 million contract. That was the biggest in sports at the time. And uh, that changed the business of the game. It led to the lockout. Um, then, of course, he, he transformed the power forward position, his position. You know, he, he sort of took it to what it is today. He spread out the floor. He could bring the ball up. He could shoot. He could move. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, he lands in Boston in 2008, creates the big three. And that really creates the super team era that we still see today. So those were sort of our pillars of how he changed the NBA. And then... You pair that with his story, his, his unbelievable storytelling ability. That was sort of the framework of our film. And I think sometimes because you're both joining us for, from New York, is that since KG played you know, much of his career in Minnesota, that he wasn't as well known as far as all the intricacies of his career until he became a champion uh, with the Celtics. 
But you're both fans of 90s basketball, and his full story was never really told before. I learned so much in this film from why he wore number 21 to why the Timberwolves never won a championship with him in the lineup and why the Celtics made such a dramatic turnaround and won the NBA championship. What did each of you learn by doing this doc? Eric, you first. Well, Doug, I, uh, I magically grew up a Celtics fan. So uh, I always admired KG from afar when he was with Minnesota. And, you know, I was one of the first people who was like telling his friends, like, you got to get league pass so you can watch someone else besides the Knicks or the Nets and what they're giving you on national TV. And, you know, I, on average, I would watch a KG game probably, you know, once or twice a month on League Pass and was always a fan. And when he becomes a Celtic, it's, it, it really became the not just from a, a Celtic fan perspective and how their marriage was so perfect, but it was the brotherhood that he needed to be part of again. And we see in the film, and for those who haven't seen it yet, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's, you know, it's public knowledge. You know, he has the brotherhood in high school with Ronnie Fields in Chicago, and then he thinks he's going to have it with Steph Marbury, and that doesn't work. And then he builds that with Malik Seeley, and that obviously ends in tragedy. And then the Spreewell Cassell thing only lasts for a year, and then those guys are on their way. And it just always felt like with him, that was escaping him. So when you really go below the surface and why the Celtic experience means so much, both for him and in our story, he finds the brotherhood again. He reconnects with Paul Pierce. He has that that mentor figure in Doc Rivers, who also happens to be from Chicago. And it's just such a, a powerful role in our film. And obviously, he never lost his Chicago bonds with his high school coach and with Ronnie and others. So, you know, the brotherhood thing was really interesting. And as far as other things to learn, you know, Dan talked about those four pillars. And when you take a step back and you think about it, how many athletes or how many people who have become stars in their industry can make such an impact in four so very powerful and distinct ways? Dan always mentioned this, but I'm just going to throw this out there. You know, in the NBA in the 90s, they thought they had the next guys after Magic, after Larry, and then, of course, who they were setting up to be after Mike. They were never expecting this generation of high schoolers to start coming in the league. So KG always says, he, had, he tore the Matrix a little bit, and then the class of 96 with Kobe and Iverson, they tore that thing wide open. And it's such an interesting thing to think about, and it completely changed the, lands, the landscape of not just the league, but basketball culture and culture in this country, because people could look at them and say, well, they can do this, and we can dream too. And that was a big, big part of our film, and obviously one of the big pillars there, along with... Um, the contract, the power forwards, and then, of course, the super team era that came uh, when he went to the Celtics. How about for you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the things for me that I learned that were just the most fascinating were sort of the details that, you know, maybe aren't as apparent when you know the sort of wider story. But like, like Eric mentioned, you know, the fact that KG and Paul Pierce played together on an AAU team, they won a championship together. You know, they had a relationship. Paul Pierce was trying to get KG to come finish his high school career in Englewood. So that, you know, that the fact that their bond goes back that far, you know, was truly fascinating to unravel. Um, I think also just how big of an impact Chicago had on KG, you know, his his year in Farragut with Coach Wolf, with Ronnie Fields. I mean, that sort of, you know, in a way it, it, it transitioned him from a teenager to an adult, obviously jumping into the league really turned him into adult. But, you know, Chicago, I think, gave him a certain personality, a certain confidence and then you connect, uh, you know, people like Isaiah Thomas into that. 
it's just wild, all the connections that run through Chicago. So for me, it was a lot of the details that, you know, were just very revelatory and, and surprising to learn. You could run, but you can't hide forever. Chicago has always had a unique history when it comes to basketball and players that come from the city. There is no separation between mostly being black, being from Chicago, and being connected to the game of basketball. I don't know what basketball is like in South Carolina. You know, the kid is ridiculously skilled, but if he ain't cut out here, he can forget it. You can't understand Chicago basketball until you've experienced it and lived it. High school basketball in Chicago, that's where you make your mark. If you're a bad boy in college, all right, that's cool. If you're a bad boy in the pros, that's cool. But if you're a bad boy in high school, then you got name notoriety forever. That's Chicago basketball. NBA fans and college basketball fans know pretty much all of the people that you talk about, except for Ronnie Fields. And I'm not going to spoil it, but it's a story, an emotional one, that you have to know. Because if you don't know the Ronnie Fields story, and I'll be honest, I didn't know the Ronnie Fields story. So I learned so much about that. It's such a telling part of Kevin Garnett and who he uh, has turned out to be. But some of the other people from Coach William Wolf Nelson at Farragut Academy in Chicago, I, I guess he had a treasure trove of videotapes for you. And, you know, I've heard you say when you're documenting, you know, you work on a documentary and somebody says, oh, here's a bunch of old tapes. You're salivating, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a magic moment when we went, you know, I, we brought Kevin back to Farragut. But the day before we went, you know, and I met Wolf and he just brought me to the back of the locker room and he pulled out a duffel bag. And it was full of VHS tapes. And he's like, I've been saving these. And, you know, you're just flipping through the, the tabs and it's like this game, that game. It's like he almost had the whole season on VHS and a lot of it had never been seen. Um, and, you know, also local news reports, just everything that's sort of painting the picture of Farragut in 94, 95. So, yeah, that was a moment as a documentary filmmaker. You're like, wow, I'm on the right path. This is this is going the right way. Doug, let me just say just on top of that, like, we have the, the, the videotape moment, but then, um, you know, we, we have such a great team on this. So, like, you got to shout out our archive producer, Jackson Devereaux. Jackson goes through, like, these old different KG videos on YouTube. And I think it was either, like, the ESPN Sports Century or the Fox Sports Beyond the Glory. And he's going through the credits looking for just sources and names. And he finds this name of a doctor in Chicago who was – his hobby was sports photography. And he documented the entire 94-95 Farragut season with these beautiful portraits. So we get in touch with him. We go back to Chicago in the fall of 2020 where we interviewed Ronnie. We interviewed Scoop. We interviewed David Kaplan who covered him in high school. And we've got 90 minutes with Dr. Paul Smolson at his house before we got to go to the airport. And it was like, it was the ultimate treasure find. Like he's just taking out binders and binders and binders of Farragut photographs. And I look at Dan, I'm like, how are we going to do this? Doug, his wife comes out with a post-its and we've got 90 minutes and we're literally going through every page and we're putting post-it notes on every picture we want scanned. And then there'll be other like NBA incredible stuff in there from Chicago Stadium. We're like, he filmed the late, uh, he shot photos of the late Reggie Lewis when he was playing with Bird and Mikhail and Parrish. And just this just gold mine of sports photography and we were overwhelmed in the best way. It was the best way to cap off Chicago. 
And as we see in the film, those photographs just make this so much more because they're so intimate, they're so personal, and they bring Farragut and Chicago and that time to life. So we, you know, we all believe in karma. We, we had a lot of good karma working for us on this, for sure. You really do get a great sense of how important Chicago is and basketball is to it, especially uh, with Farragut. But it would have never happened if mom doesn't call Coach Nelson and take care of my boy. He's he's here in, in South Carolina, and he's at Malden High School, and he's he's not really to his problem. He, he got into a, a mess, and I'll let you, you know, those watch the, the film to know more about that. But if mom doesn't call Wolf Nelson, we might not ever have heard of Kevin Garnett. That's true. And I think, you know, a lot of what's interesting about the story is sort of him being in these these circumstances at the right place in the right time or making a decision that changes everything. You know, if he doesn't walk into a gym, you know, after the season in Farragut and, you know, he's down and out about his test scores and the pressure of what's he going to do next. And he goes, you know, to 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 take his mind off of things by playing basketball and he winds up in this gym that changes the course of his life. So there's all these, you know, these sort of fate moments that happen in his career early in his career too uh that i think help give the twists and turns of the film we're speaking here on sports jam with the co-directors of the showtime sports and showtime basketball documentary kevin garnett anything is possible killer killer <laughs> i'm the bite size i'm the bite size version of KT. what's up boy thank you boy how you been all good good to see you man Everybody in here you have on the wall is huge in the history and the making of the history of the I even got Akeem teaching Shaq. I see that. How to go big. Because that was his teacher right there. Right. And see, Dr. J, the reason why I like him, because I play in Chucks. Facts. Can't play in no regular basketball shoes. I got to play in these, man. You got to play some Chucks. Come on, man. That's OG style. I love it. The segment with Snoop, Snoop Dogg, the rapper, is really raw, right? For those uh, who have small children, you don't want to hear that conversation. But that's what's great about this documentary, because it is so personal and emotional and serious. You have two individuals in Snoop Dogg talking with Kevin Garnett in a setting and just letting it go, you know, and just talking about what's happened recently in the world of sports and in in our world in general and with racism and with the George Floyd murder. Eric, why did you feel that was important to put into the film? You know, Doug, we were we were living through this polarizing time and, you know, it happened in, in Minneapolis. It happened at a place that he spent 12 years of his, not just his career, his life. He, he has roots there, relationships there. He's obviously, you know, he's probably the greatest athlete to ever play in that state in any sport. And, um, and in the fact that, you know, he's African-American, grew up in the South, had dealt with those things himself throughout his entire life. And to then have him and Snoop, like, you know, we had the, the, the topics laid out, but it, it's up to them to take it and run with it. And obviously, uh, that conversation turns into something that's very powerful, very meaningful. Combine that with then being on the ground with Kevin in Minneapolis to experience that with him. Um, is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen or been a part of. I still have chills thinking about that day and what it meant and just observing Kevin and, you know, not really a spoiler, but, you know, the, the, the girl who's helping curate the space, giving the tours, 
she was his ball girl, you know, 10 years prior when she played for the Timberwolves. So we knew we were at the right place at the right time. And we had to do something in the flow of the film to shed light on what was happening in our society and in our culture. And him back in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, visiting that, you know, and, and you know, Gary Trent, his former teammate, was there with him. And we went in there very subtly, very quietly. And it was a powerful moment. And it was a moment we felt needed to be in the film because we, we all we all lived it in different ways. Um, and this was a very unique way and through Kevin's lens and obviously the, the lens of us as filmmakers. So between uh, the Snoop moment and the experience of being on the ground, uh, we, we felt compelled to do it. But then we, of course, had to make it work in the edit. And, uh, and, and, and we think it did. Yeah, relevancy is... You know, something that you're always trying to achieve with a, with a project. So we, we get a history lesson. We get a whole new perspective on Kevin Garnett as a person. And we get timely information on how they feel about it. I mean, it really works. Uh, I was glued to this documentary. Couldn't push it away. Um, before we talk about the music and the hip-hop connection, Dan, also struck that Kevin Garnett, when we talk about racism and that, there are many white people in his life that he gave credit to. You know, you have people like Kevin McHale and Danny Ainge were very influential in his basketball career as executives, and he got along with them. And the first person that ever exposed him to basketball was a white person in his neighborhood. I think it shows just what type of person Kevin Garnett is inside. I don't think Kevin Garnett, while he's proud to be who he is, he doesn't see color, I don't think, as much as other people might think. Well, I think I would say this, the, you know, the sport that he chose to play, the sport that Eric and I grew up playing, you know, basketball is a cultural connector. It's a conductor. It brings people from all over America, all over the world together, you know, and, and it, it, it puts everybody on an even team and they have to work together. So I think those lessons, I mean, those lessons are things that taught me stuff in my life. I'm sure they've taught Kevin a lot in his life. And it's something that we can all experience. So I think it all comes back to sort of the core of why people love basketball and why people love team sports. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, and as far as the hip hop connection, I think, you know, we got KG together with Snoop. They knew each other, but we also wanted, you know, we wanted someone that was a star on KG's level in the same time period, you know, in, in music and to get them together, you know, they were sort of working through these issues in real time, you know, basketball was just, had just, they were talking about, should they come back? Should they play in a bubble? Um, it was all happening. So to see them discuss, it was fascinating. But then of course, to connect, Kevin always talks about how the music that he's playing influence the music that he listens to influences how he plays the game. And that's one of sort of the most fascinating uh, sort of monologues that he can go on is, you know, what he's listening to and how he plays to that music. And, so we knew that we needed to include that. And obviously, I think the cultural shift that happened in the 90s, you know, it, it goes back a little earlier. Obviously, Shaq released hip hop albums, but KG, Steph, you know, that slam cover, it really sort of brought hip hop into the NBA. And there was really no turning back from there. And then once 96, the class of 96 came in, you know, it was hip hop and basketball have always had this synergy that work off each other to this day. You mentioned Stefan Marbury, and you, you talk about so many of his teammates, and we get to hear from them. We get to hear from Sam Cassell, and we get to hear from Steph, and we get to hear from the people who played with him and his executives. Your access 
is incredible in this film. Everybody who's in the room, we learned from Hamilton, you know, I want to be in the room, you know, where it happens. You are in the room where it happens, and you are talking to people who are right there, even arm wrestling tournaments. Len Baby Davis talking about it. it it's sensational access. Was it the fact that Kevin Garnett is such a likable character that you went to people and said, hey, we're telling a story, help out? Doug, the reaction when we would connect with people to coordinate the interview was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, most documentaries, and I, I don't want to generalize, right, but you have your subject or your star, and then you have, you know, two or three voices that really stand out from the chorus of voices. How lucky did we get? We, we have this just unbelievable lineup of voices where if you look at interview by interview, they all deliver such great, passionate, unique stuff, and it speaks to the connection that they have with Kevin, the history and the impact that Kevin had on their life. We interviewed Sam Mitchell remotely in, I don't know, was that early winter? I don't even know, Dan, I've, I've lost track of time. But my point is, I talk to Sam Mitchell now once a month. We have these life conversations. We talk about the league. We talk about so many things. I still haven't met the guy in person. <laughs> and like, th there's just such a strong bond between our subjects and Kevin, and it plays into that brotherhood theme that I talked about earlier. Um, but yeah, the access was unbelievable. And, you know, guys like Sam Mitchell, guys like Sam Cassell, who have been in the league for so long and have such great reputations, but aren't um, put in these positions as personas and storytellers themselves to share in this way. They're at the analyst desk. Sam's obviously on Doc River staff in Philadelphia as, a, as his top assistant coach, but to get them in the chair, and to take them down memory lane and to hear their versions of these stories, uh, it, was, it was really special and, and, and a privilege, really. The whole project was a, was a privilege. But these voices are, are the fabric of our league, and they stem from this 90s time that Dan and I are so passionate about that we grew up watching. And uh, we're, we're very fortunate we got to assemble all of these people in this film. For a while, man, I used to always wonder what it would have been like if Steph and I would actually stay together. But... It wasn't a plan. So as tough as it was losing Steph, it was the best thing for us because it brought clarity. There was no more conversation about who team it was. There was no more conversation about who gets the ball at the end of the game. Without a doubt, 100%, this was Kevin Garnett's team. I get the name of the names, the big ticket. That means ain't nothing else playing tonight. You it. You're listening to Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle, and my guests are the co-directors of the Showtime Sports and Showtime Basketball documentary, Kevin Garnett, Anything is Possible, Eric W. Newman, and Daniel B. Levin. If you're a New York basketball fan and you remember the late Malik Seeley, you want to watch this documentary to see the impact this man not only had on the life of KG, but also on the Minnesota Timberwolves and how it all worked out for them in the end. Dan, when we have this emotional time with so many different people and you talk about the pillars and how it all came together, you really understand that the NBA is kind of complicated. We think that people just go out and, hey, you got three stars, you should win. We're thinking about, you know, how the Nets now this season without Kyrie Irving. And if they have him, do they win? It's so much more than that. It goes back to the basics of teammates believing in each other and with the Celtics I know Eric felt it probably early on watching that season how these players gel but you really learn about 
Ubuntu and everything, the philosophy that was going on with Doc Rivers and the teammates in Boston, that was a really special thing. And it makes you realize it's not bull when we hear we have a great locker room. It's, it's huge. It's, it's, it's got to be a family. And, you know, it's incredible what's happened since that team with obviously LeBron James going to Miami and, and shifting the whole power dynamic. And, you know, the torch, they obviously they, they take the torch from the Celtics. And, and then we see all these other teams trying to duplicate this. But it's not an easy thing to do, whether it's the on-court stuff or the off-court stuff. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with timing. A lot of it has to do with just being completely selfless. And obviously a philosophy like Mbutu worked perfectly with this team. And, you know, Kevin and Paul and Ray had spent years being stars in situations where they could just never get even close to reaching the level they wanted. KG played in one conference final. Paul played in one conference final. Ray didn't get close to a conference final. And them all together, uh, coming together at that time, uh, was so perfect. And Doc Rivers, uh, who I think takes a lot of heat um, for no good reason, um, that guy has so much respect from players like that because he lived it as a player himself. He competed at the highest level. He played in huge playoff games with the Atlanta Hawks, with the New York Knicks. And then he learned from Riley and from Popovich how to become a coach. And you mesh all those things together. And then the magic of Sam Cassell returning to me with KG and a veteran like PJ Brown and Perk and Rondo at a young age, um, a perfect storm. But it, it shows that you've got to be together pulling that rope to win an NBA championship, whether you're with the same guys year after year, or you're putting that new team together, which we've seen a lot of teams try to do, of course, since 2008. Dan, if you had only one minute or two minutes, and sometimes we see this in trailers, but you want to share your family, your work, right? And you want to say, Hey, this is what I've been working with Eric on for a long time now. And through the pandemic, which by the way, I don't think you could even tell that this was done during the pandemic. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, Dan, what's the moment that you say, yeah, this is a special documentary? I think personally for me, the moment is when we brought back Kevin back to Farragut and he, you know, he's just having fun with, with Eskridge and Wolf. And, you, you know, as soon as you walked in that door, you could see their, their, their bond that hadn't, you know, that, that spans over 25 years. So for me, when we walked back in that room and it was just jokes and people were laughing and, you know, it felt special and it felt like we had done something unique. Uh, and, it, and we saw Kevin in a new light. You know, it was sort of unraveling his persona. And, uh, you know, Wolf and Eskridge are, are characters in their own right. And, you know, to hear them tell stories and to reminisce, it was truly magical. So for me, it would be that moment. And hey, Doug, let me just add just one thing to that. And, and we appreciate uh, the, your statement on... Um, you know, making a film during the pandemic, you know, we only had four shoot days before the whole country shut down. So it was two LA shoot days, which were, were eerily the two days before Kobe's tragic passing. And we were very, very close to where that happened just 24 hours before. And it's still something that I, I can't believe is real because Kobe Bryant was supposed to be in this film. Um, but, you know, we go to Chicago for All-Star and, you know, Kevin makes his appearance on All the Smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, which if you haven't watched it or listened to it, it's just epic Kevin Garnett. And then, uh, you know, we capture him at the Hall of Fame finalist press conference. And then President's Day Monday is the Farragut visit. And, you know, we get to school. It's empty. The kids are off. We coordinated it. If we don't do that, then, Doug, we never get that shoot during a pandemic. Mm. It just doesn't happen in that way. 
And who knows if we ever get Kevin to go back to Chicago. And just the, the, the choices and following our instincts and, you know, the moment we walked in that door that day before Kevin got there, it just, it had that feel. Like I still go back to my high school on Long Island where I'm still close with my coach and we had success. I tried to go back once a year. I know what that feels like personally. From Kevin's perspective, after not being back for 25 years and what Chicago and Farragut mean to him, the moment he walked in that door and you see that embrace and you feel that love, it's one of the most special things I've, I've ever been a part of capturing. It was, it was awesome. Let me see the gym. I ain't been in the gym in a minute, man. <laughs> oh, wow. This is crazy. You can't see this every day? Every they come day, here every man. day to this? Every day. I bet you can't even touch the top of the room. Stop oh, playing. Man. He ain't got to jump, man. man. <laughs> Kevin had been playing in the NBA for quite a while. And then he called me. He said, yeah, you see what I got last night? I said, what? He said, I got 28 rebounds like Bill Cameron. <laughs> I got 28 rebounds. Like still. Well, I used to tell him, man, you got to get them rebounds. Where did this all start for, for you as far as the filmmaking? I know it's in, in your blood. It's in your bloodstream, Dan. Yeah, well, you know, I come from a lineage of, of film. My grandfather, Al Levin, was a journalist. He worked at PBS. My father, Mark Levin, who is, you know, worked on this film. He's an EP on the film. I work with him. I've been working with him, you know, ever since I've been in high school, you know, old enough to hold the camera. So I've always been in it. I've always been around it. Um, and I think, you know, Mark introduced us to Kevin. Uh, you know, Kevin had seen a lot of, you know, Mark's films in the 90s, and, and he's done a lot of stuff. So, uh, it, you know, it, filmmaking and basketball are two things that, you know, my father gave to me. <laughs> and it's something that has trickled into my work. So uh, I'm blessed. Yeah. And you've done yeah. many things, not just sports, too. Go ahead, Eric. I just want to say, like, you know, I met Mark and Dan 10 years ago, and I'm not here in my life and career without them. Like, Mark immediately like played a mentoring role in my life when he was finishing prayer for a perfect season back in 2011. And he invites me to the blowback office to screen the film and share my thoughts. And I'm saying to myself, you know, Doug, I'm a former basketball coach and, and teacher who was doing creative on the side. I come from a, a unique film background too, but it was a film appreciation background. My father's a film collector. So he's got, you know, 3000 movies in the house and I grew up watching anything and everything. And then I was a jock. So I was a basketball football player. So I'm meshing that stuff together and trying to figure it out as a career. I meet Mark Levin and he's asking me to come watch prayer for a perfect season and share my thoughts. Like I looked at him sideways. You got to be kidding me. And I did that. And then I met Dan. And then a year later, Dan's calling me saying, Hey, have you heard of Lloyd Daniels? And I'm like, of course I've heard of Lloyd Daniels. And all of a sudden I'm working with Dan and the crew making the legend of Sweepy together, which was from 2012 to 2015. So I'm not here without these guys. And it's like, you know, we have the brotherhood of the, the theme in the film, but there's a lot of brotherhood and connection here with us and my colleague at Showtime, executive producer on the film, Brian Daly. And obviously Kevin has such great history with his people who worked with us on it. And it, it's just, it's really special. And to, to match our passions and for both of us to have these really unique connections to the game and to cinema and to match them together and to get to tell the story of Kevin Garnett in that medium, um, we're, we're pretty lucky, I think. Yeah, the legend of Sweet Pea is one of the topics that, on a past uh, sports jam that, you know, was really special. And uh, you guys do great work. So last question, you're sitting down with Kevin Garnett. You get a chance to maybe ask one more question. You know, you've done so much research, so much. 
but there's always something that's left off the table where you said, oh, I, I wish I, we did this. Dan, is there something that you still want to ask Kevin Garnett? Hmm, I don't know. What's next? That's what I would ask. What is next? Yeah, and I know Paul Pierce is you know very instrumental in this documentary, and I know, Eric, you're thinking about maybe uh, Paul Pierce might be the subject in some way of another project, right? Well, we are very fortunate with what we're building at Showtime Basketball to be, you know, working with Kevin moving forward on a show property of his own that'll be, you know, digital first and, you know, the same kind of strategy around the content distribution as all the smoke, but a much different type of show. And then Paul has joined us now in a, you know, contra uh, content contributing capacity as well across show basketball and show sports. So Paul's story I mean, Paul's story plays like its own Hollywood film, considering where he grew up and who he ended up playing for and, and his journey. So we're excited to, to explore things with Paul. But, you know, I believe that, like my belief system on story and the power of story, especially in our society and culture, is very aligned with, with Mark and Dan. So there's some things on our radar that are outside of basketball. But, you know, for Kevin... He has so much creative energy and wants to do so many things and has such great trust in us. So we're going to be moving that forward with him. But if I could ask Kevin one more thing, hmm. there'd be some random thing from his career that I have written down that we didn't hit that it would be that. And, um, you know, it would probably be something to do with being back in that Celtic locker room, I think. Um, either that or the time it was in the nineties, you know, I'm a little older than Dan when KG was a rookie, I was a senior in high school. So that time was like very, very memorable and nostalgic for me. You know, we're getting to work with these guys and build show basketball with, with them on our platform, along with, uh, with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. And, you know, all of our guests on our show feel like their family. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to come up with some real good stuff next and stay tuned, but um, looking forward to taking a deep breath for, at least a couple of weeks before we, we dive back in on pre-production and development. So, and my guy over there in Brooklyn, he's about to, uh, he's about to head West and, and join me on the left coast soon with his, uh, with, with, his, with his little one and his wife. So we'll, uh, we'll be in the lab figuring it out, Doug, but we'll, uh, we'll keep you posted. Well, you certainly have hit a slam dunk with Kevin Garnett. Anything is possible on Showtime sports and Showtime basketball. I I'm, probably would want to know what episode of Ray Donovan uh, Kevin Garnett uh, likes because I heard from you guys talking that he, you know, he wanted, <laughs> hey, don't end Ray Donovan, bring it back. Doug, he loves Ray Donovan. He loves story. And to sum it up, like he consumes story, whether it's scripted, whether it's documentary, he consumes, he consumes it like he's watching game film and he's learning and he's absorbing and he's so passionate about it. And to get to work with a guy that, you know, more, the uniform of my favorite team and had an influence on me then and to get to do this film with him and talk story all the time and have these animated, uh, really passionate conversations. It's, uh, it's a blessing. It's magical. Dan Levin, Eric Newman, thanks for joining us on Sports Jam. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having us. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios production. You can check out all the past shows by going to wbgo.org slash sports jam. Find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks going out to Joe Favorito for hooking us up with Eric Newman and Dan Levin. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.
WBGO Studios presents many other great podcasts like Jazz United and The Checkout. Meet the pianist, singer, and composer Rachel Eckroth, an artist divided by the many different genres she thrives in, rock, folk, and of course jazz. The hard part about my whole career has been that I've got like three different audiences or four different audiences. Subscribe to the Checkout wherever you get your podcasts and online at WBGO.org.